Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, happy Friday. Thanks for being with us on your Friday. And I think we've avoided the worst of whatever this storm, snow, whatever. We shall see. But we have plenty of sports to get to here on a Friday on the show. 46862, as always, is your text line number again. 46862. Let's put in CK before your question, comment. If you have a Friday rant, please send it our way as well. Coming up on the show today, takeaways from Chris Ballard. We'll get to that after headlines. He spoke with the media. We learned several things on his plans for the offseason, his goals. We'll get to some of the highlights. Plus, Tommy Reese is a serious contender for the Alabama job. Go figure. And ESPN used a scheme to get Emmys. We'll get to all that this hour, plus an hour number two. James Boyd of the Athletic Colts Beat Writer will join us to get his impressions from Chris Ballard speaking with the media, talking about the offseason, what they're going to do with several key free agents, and Anthony Richardson also spoke with the media as well. And we'll get to Tyrese Halliburton doing something. Now, we we talked about the all-star voting before. Well, there was another update. And I think this is worth its own segment because it it blew me away when I saw it. We'll, we'll get to that about 8.20 or so. And NFL playoffs are here. Super wild card weekend. We'll give you a preview of some of the matchups. I have one upset hmm. that you're going to want to listen in for. All right. Perhaps two, but definitely I'm definitely picking one that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. So we'll, we'll get to that. And uh, have you ever just put up a half-eaten sandwich for sale? I can't say that I have. Well, someone on Facebook did, and it's fetching a hefty price Ooh. tag. Does it look like Jesus? Remember there was no, a thing? Yeah, that, I remember that. People the grilled sell cheese. Stuff, right? Yeah, grilled cheese, you know, it, it, stuff that had the Virgin Mary on it, allegedly. Oh, stuff. I remember that craze. This does not have any biblical no, figures. No, it's just a, a simple half-eaten sandwich. Okay. We'll get the details by the end of this show. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, you can also stream us 1380thefan.com on the 1380thefan app or on your smart speaker and listen in for free as well. All right, let's get to headlines this morning. And the coaching search for the Patriots continues. Gerard Mayo, perhaps the leading contender for the Patriots as they keep it in-house, want to continue the Patriot way, which I find yeah. interesting. Why not completely restart while you can? Um, you, you have a lot of needs and sticking with the same method doesn't seem to be a a way for success. Well, I would think that Gerard Mayo would bring a more modern thought process to the New England Patriots. Uh, Younger dude. I I think at the very least he would bring that. Um, Just surprised that, uh, that Mike Vrabel isn't in the conversation. To to be honest, I mean, we don't know if Mike Vrabel is even interested in the job or any job right now in the NFL. Could he be wanting a, a year off? Who knows? But um, a little interesting that they haven't even kind of thought about in- interviewing outside candidates. And with the Rooney rule, Gerard Mayo f- fits that. And so they wouldn't have to interview anybody else if they didn't want to. That's true. Uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if they limit their list just, just to him. I would um, imagine you start with the people in-house that are interested and then you expand. So we'll see what New England does. But we do know this. Bucky's did offer Bill Belichick a, a store manager position. They did indeed, and that is very alluring. If if, if I was a retiree running a Bucky's, being at a Bucky's every day, that's a treat. I I can't if you, disagree. If you know, you know. If you've that, been to a Bucky's, right. you know. 
uh, from the NFL to college football, and we start with Florida State. Uh, Florida State football penalized uh, for NIL violations and assistant, got a three-game ban for those violations. Uh, Florida State also getting two years probation. They have to disassociate with their NIL collective for one season for violating NIL rules, uh, using it as a recruiting inducement. And... Isn't that what it's for, though? Yes, <laughs> I mean, that's true. Uh, the the, viol- the main violation was an assistant coach taking a prospective recruit directly to a booster, and then that booster offering the player money instead of it going through the collective. In which I kind of look at it and say, I can I can bet probably half of the teams at FBS uh, committed this violation. Yes, this past year, it's just. To me, it's like the NCAA trying to show that it still has some semblance of power in college football. And at this meeting in particular, the booster offered a prospect $15,000 per month, encouraged him to play for the Knowles. Uh, prospect wasn't named by the NCAA, but it was reported to be Georgia offensive tackle Amarius Mims. Uh, he removed his name from the transfer portal shortly after the meeting, remained at Georgia. So it didn't even lead to them getting the recruit. That's so, perhaps the worst part in all of it. So basically, you cannot offer, a person cannot offer a player money, but if that person donates to the collective, then whoever runs the collective can offer the player yes. money. It's, it's all a bunch semantics. of it's, semantics and red tape. And, and look, the NCAA is looking to overhaul some of these things. Hopefully they fix this. Because remember, the way they have it set up, the schools can't directly pay the players, but in the future, they're looking at actual pay-to-play. Just make and, it. And maybe that will get rid of this. This just seems yeah, like a weird. Just, uh, when I first saw this last night, I was like, oh, what'd they do? And then I read the details. I'm like, that. that's it. And, and this is considered a major infraction. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know. The NCAA trying to show it still has some teeth. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. <laughs> uh, we get to former Indiana offensive coordinator Walt Bell. And congrats to him as he has landed on his feet as he will now be at Western Michigan. So Walt Bell uh, going to Western Michigan. Congrats to him on on getting the job. He'll be the new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh, Hmm. up there. All right. So landing on his feet is Walt Bell. He's had a a tough, since he was with Florida State, has really had a tough run. Remember he was the head coach at UMass, and I don't even know if they won a game. I think they may have won one. And that was three years that he coached at UMass, and then he went to Indiana and was frequently the scapegoat for everybody's issues with Indiana, and now he's landed at Western Michigan. Uh, Meanwhile, elsewhere for IU, Bryant Haynes, their new defensive coordinator at Indiana, program's first million-dollar assistant. He'll make $1.025 million per year in guaranteed pay. Hey, see, there's there's some investment. I say, you, you better pay your assistants. We talk about the top of the FBS having to do that, but even in the bottom of the FBS, you need to be playing those games. And Indiana, good to see that they're investing in some assistant coaches. It was a wild night in the NBA as you have the Thunder beating the Blazers by 62 points. I think it's the fifth highest margin of victory in NBA history, I think I saw. The Blazers, get this, they shot... Uh, just a couple ticks below 28% from the field, 28 for 101, 22% from three, 11 of 49. They were actually up 62 at the end of the third quarter 
just the largest margin ever heading into the fourth quarter of an NBA game. Oak City had 41 assists on the night. Um, just a, a phenomenal, crazy night. The Blazers are now the only franchise in history to lose two games by at least 60 points. They lost to the Pacers by 65 in 1998. It was so bad that TNT switched from the game. The problem was TNT couldn't find a, a, a close game anywhere. It was pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the Bucks beat the Celtics 135-102. to And again, that's much closer than what this game uh, actually looked like is Milwaukee just thrashed the Celtics. Uh, big win for the Bucks, And uh, again, they had a 25-0 run. The Bucks did in this win in their most dominating performance of the season. And, and once again, we're, just a weird night. Uh, their largest lead was 43. Yeah, they were up close to 40 at the end of the third. And then Boston outscored them in the fourth to kind of make it look a little bit closer. This game was 75 to 38 at halftime. Bobby Portis off the bench with 20, 28 and 12 for Milwaukee to lead them in scoring. Yeah, it was an ugly night all around for, uh, and, and I love, I had, for some reason, I had the NBA on TNT on last night. I think I turned the TV on, it was on TNT and it was in studio. So I started watching it and they were trying to hype the Phoenix and LA game last night that I think was their second game last night. And Ernie throws it to Kenny Smith to see, you know, it's, it's, what's on the line in this game, blah, blah, blah. And, and he's like, nothing. <laughs> he's like, because like, like, <laughs> he's, you know, the, the job of the, of them is to type up games coming up. And he's like, there's, there's no intrigue whatsoever in this game. They're two play in teams right now. And uh, Ernie was like, yeah, we're trying to drum up interest. And he's like, there is none. <laughs> it's like, I appreciate the honesty for sure. Yeah. And elsewhere in the NBA, it was announced that they are working toward a two-day draft, which makes sense. They've always done rounds one and two on the same night. It does. But Who's going to turn into to tune into the second round of the draft? I think it's better than it finishing around midnight Eastern time. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but majority of those second round picks are going to the G League or going to yes. be bench warmers. Like, like this isn't the second round of the of the NFL draft. Just uh. I, I don't know. I, I think what would drum up interest in the second round of the NBA draft would be, I don't know, bigger rosters. So those te- those players Perhaps. are actually I mean, around. they used to have a lot more rounds in the draft. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like they've always only just had two rounds, but it'll be June 26th and June 27th in Brooklyn, Wednesday, that the Wednesday for the first round, the Thursday for the second round. And again, they're still working on the final sign-off from the Players Association, but that is what they're moving toward for this year. Just to see if they can uh, actually get people to watch the second round of the draft. And some sad news in racing. SRX, the Superstar Racing Experience, Tony Stewart's uh, series that he put together, will not have a fourth season. And my my guess would be it will not return, period. Uh, they postponed the fourth season uh, that was upcoming for this summer yesterday. Had a great deal in year one and year two, I think, with CBS. They were on Saturday nights on network television and people would stumble across it and watch it it was basically you know stars across the auto racing world that were driving all similar cars at small tracks around the country and it was endearing to watch and it was kind of cool and then this kind of novelty started wearing off and then it went to move to thursday nights on espn the purists of auto racing thought it was amazing to try to restart what was called thursday night thunder at short tracks around the country it didn't stick 
and now SRX is gone. So it was it was fun while it lasted. NASCAR drivers, IndyCar drivers, dirt track drivers, they had local track ringers as they're known. Which is kind of cool. Really that, was the, that was the coolest thing. And unfortunately, it is at least not happening for this year. And again, my guess would be probably will not be happening, period, moving forward. Yeah, I think it's it's served its purpose and it's gone. And back here in Fort Wayne, the comments announced a restructuring of or a realigning of their front office moving forward. Um, Scott Sprout, Comets co-owner, has been appointed president of business operations. Co-owner David Franke, president of hockey operations and GM. Josh Teston promoted to vice president of sales and marketing. Nancy Haliberta has been promoted to controller. And Tammy Franke Steinforth has been promoted to office manager and corporate secretary. So it's a movement to kind of uh, try to shore up what uh, what is lost with the passing of uh, Michael Franke. So it's uh, a lot of people that were already involved. It's just different roles or different titles at the very least with the K's. But big weekend for the K's. Road weekend coming up. We'll see if the Comets can get back in the wind column. They're at Rapid City tonight and tomorrow night before returning to Coliseum Ice next Friday. So the Comets with an opportunity. They did lose to Rapid City in the opener, but uh, hopefully they can bounce back the rest of this weekend on the road. You can hear those games on our sister station, WoWo 1190 and uh, 92.3 FM. 46862, again, your text line number, 46862. Uh, text that came in, there are NIL rules, talking about Florida State. Well, and, uh, and NCAA likes to think there are. But yeah, it's it's... This is proving that it's kind of hard to take all of this very seriously. Yeah. Meanwhile, for the Colts, Chris Ballard spoke with the media yesterday. Some of the key takeaways, he did say that defensive coordinator Gus Bradley will be back. He did say it's an area we need to improve in terms of the defense and also cited the young secondary that the Colts have. Now, they do have pieces like Jalen Jones and Juju Brents in the secondary uh, to go with... Julian Blackman coming off an injury, um, several other players, but it was a young secondary, and that was a clear deficient group for Indianapolis, and we'll see what they do to try to address the defense in this offseason. I think Chris Ballard said all the right things. I think we've talked about it previously uh, this week about Gus Bradley, and I felt he had deserved another year. I don't look at him as the, the real scapegoat. You need to give him more personnel. I think the fact that they said that, that Michael Pittman is a priority uh, to me, I'm like, okay, because it kind of went counterintuitive to what he talked about in being aggressive in free agency. He talked about Anthony Richardson and the advantages of having a young quarterback that they feel confident about is you can invest in free agency. And I think the exact quote was something about going out and, and doing whatever we need to do to improve this team in free agency. Um, and, and my immediate thought would be, okay, that means you're going to go and get a better receiver, right? Yes. But it doesn't sound like at least with what Chris Ballard said yesterday. No, he said a priority on Michael Pittman Jr. We're going to work to get him back. So that means they're content signing him and then moving forward. That That's the way I understand it. Right. And then that's my thing is, is he, he mentioned, uh, and this was the exact quote in terms of free agency. We'll be as aggressive as we need to be in free agency with players that we think can help us. You don't think this team needs help at wide receiver? And again, I, I feel like sometimes the Colts are blinded by their loyalty 
to players that they've taken in the draft that they they get a a bigger um I, I guess they're treated different they get more of a, a chance to prove themselves because the Colts have invested in them that the Colts brain trust wants to fa- say hey we're going to show that we we didn't make a bad pick or at least a pick that hasn't lived up to expectations we're going to give that player every chance to succeed it's kind of where I'm at with Michael Pittman Jr. And, and I mean, not, he, he's a guy who's going to command probably more than $20 million a year. Is he worth that? I don't think so. I, I don't think so either. I think he's worth a franchise tag, but I don't think he's worth the, you know, the, 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 the money, money they're going to throw. The calculated at. market value on Track is $22.7 million. There's no way I'm paying that. Now, do they franchise him? Th- that's what I think they do. Because, but here's the thing the Colts haven't franchised a player since Pat McAfee in 2013. We, we talked about this. We thought they'd franchise Jonathan Taylor, and they didn't do it. So I, I don't know. And even Michael Pittman Jr. said he's not anti franchise tag. So, like, there's an opening there. It's not like that's going to set him off and want to make him hold out and everything, at least based on what he's said recently. You look at the four top free agents that the Colts will have to find, find a way or decide what to do. You look at Pittman, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. Let's say you bring back all four of those players. I don't feel like that vaults them into a double-digit win season, in my opinion. That's not an appreciable improvement of the roster. That's just retaining what you already have. Well, and you still have to retain Gardner Minshew, right? And he's going to command some good money. Correct. And then do you bring back Zach Moss? And then all of a sudden, I don't know if you can afford to. to well, keep that's the both. thing. Right now, you have seventy million in cap space. If you sign all those dudes and you sign Gardner Minshew and you look at Zach Moss, which I don't know, I would think you bring him back, but who knows? A lot of that seventy million is going to be gone. Then what are you investing in free agency to make this team better? There's not much money left. I mean, <laughs> you, you've saying. already spent probably what fifty million at that point. I mean, you look at, at Quiddy Pay too. You have to make a decision on him. Uh, do you pick up the fifth year option? Do you let him walk? Do you give him a lucrative deal? Had a had a career high eight and a half sacks this year. Was uh, as consistent of an interior guy as as you saw with the with the Colts all season long. There's a lot of decisions, and if the Colts continue to be overly loyal to players that they've drafted or brought in then they're not going to have much to spend in free agency, which I think is where this team can improve the quickest. I think they're at a place where you make a couple key acquisitions, you and Anthony Richardson turns out, which is always the biggest question, you could be a division winner next year at that point. And that's progress. I mean, you were so close this year. But um, we'll see if the Colts get... Chris Ballard said all the right things in terms of free agency. I'll just, I'll be surprised if the Colts dabble into free agency and, and throw some big money out there. Maybe for one guy, but I don't see them bringing in two, three high-priced dudes. No, they, last they offseason it was Matt Gay and that was pretty much it in terms of... Alec Pierce! Huh? Alec Pierce? No. Who was, was the one f- they brought in? Was it two Oh, oh Isaiah McKenzie? Ah, oh, yeah, Isaiah McKenzie that was supposed <laughs> to be their big splash on offense. Yeah, no, right? he was complete bust. They're getting rid of him, obviously, this, this offseason. He was suspended to close out the season. Uh, Ballard did also say... The goals for 2024 playoffs compete for the AFC South title, which, again, they haven't won the AFC South since 2014, so keep that in mind. And also, Anthony Richardson spoke with the media and said he is not changing his playing style. 
Um, okay. I, I'm not at a referendum to say that how Anthony Richardson plays is wrong. I think we can say he, he needs to take less hits. I think one, one year is unfair to say that he's injury prone. We'll have to see. Then again, you need to learn how to slide, when to slide, go out of bounds uh, for sure. I think the frustrating thing for me, uh, as as you look at the Colts, and, and, and this goes with the Bears too, because the Bears love to talk about how they want to win the NFC North. They want to be a division winner. And Chris Ballard said that yesterday about the Colts. We want to win the AFC South. Why isn't the goal, we want to get to the Super Bowl. We want to win Super Bowl. Why... Why are you so infatuated with the division? And it's not just Ballard. It seems to be the media in Indianapolis is also, oh, you, you know, Yay. winning the division. Like, What's it going to take cares? to win the AFC South? Like, who cares? What's it going to take for the, the Indianapolis Colts to return to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl? That should be the goal. That should be what's talked about internally and externally by front office people. Like, yeah, division championships are nice. But it doesn't mean anything if you go out and lose this weekend in the wild card round. Who cares? And you hear that out of Chicago all the time too. You heard it at the end of the season with the, with the Bears is they want to get back to winning the NFC North and owning the NFC North. Who cares? You want to compete for Super Bowls. That's my thing for teams. So it just seems short short sighted. And, and yes, winning the division means you're making the playoffs, but doesn't that mean does, you're doesn't mean contender. you're a contender for right? the Super Bowl. It just means you won the division. And quite often, when's the last time an, an AFC South division winner was a Super Bowl contender? I mean, <laughs> I guess 2014, right? Because that's the last time the Colts won the division and they lost in the AFC title game that year. I guess if their thinking is, okay, we win the division and then the goals become greater, but I don't know. You look at Kansas City, they've won eight straight division championships. You think they care? No, they're they're not saying, oh, we want to win the AFC West. Yeah. You know, our goal is to win the AFC West for the eighth straight year, ninth straight year, whatever. No. They're, they're, they're competing for Super Bowls, and that should be the goal. The goal should be improving your team to eventually be a Super Bowl contender, not to win the division. And I think that's uh, short-sighted both in Chicago and Indianapolis when they continue to say that publicly is, oh, we want... And, and the media lapdogs in Indianapolis just eat that up. Oh, yeah, what it's going to take to win the AFC South in 2024 for the Colts. Who cares about winning the AFC South? What's it going to take for the Indianapolis Colts to be a consistent AFC title contender? What's, what, what do they have to do for that? I don't care about the AFC South. Bears fans and, and ownership of the Bears, I don't care about the NFC North care about competing in conference championship games and getting to the Super Bowl and winning Lombardi trophies. Who cares about the division? Isn't that the goal for every franchise? It should be, but it sounds like <laughs> in Indianapolis and Chicago, it's not. Not, not infatuated with winning the South. The not right South. now, at least. It's in the short term. It's oh, let's let's win the division. Whoop de doo. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the you're one. You're the best of four teams. Why don't you try to be one? The best of thirty-two. Why don't you try to be the best of 16? Don't aim for being the best of four. And maybe that's part of the problems with those franchises. The mentality is just not there of of winning. No, I I get it. I think sometimes the the narrative of beating the Packers in Chicago is the biggest thing. Is is going into week 18, the Bears had a chance to knock the the Packers out of the playoffs. And that was like, oh, that 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 gets Chicago excited. Like, who cares about knocking the Packers out of the playoffs? How about being in the playoffs yourselves? How about being an NFC contender to win the Super Bowl or get to the Super Bowl? 
Who cares that you're in a position? Who cares if you beat the Packers twice in a season and win the NFC North if you lose by 40 in the wild card round? And I feel like that mentality, I think, is is maybe not as prevalent as in Chicago, but it's in Indianapolis. They called it AFC South, AFC South, AFC South. Who cares? And, and we've heard this year after year after year, right? This isn't like a new thing this offseason. Colts have been consistent for past several years now about how they talk about wanting to win the AFC South. And if you spin it to like, hey, you know, we wanted to we want to use the division as a stepping stone. And you win the division, and then we have bigger goals. Like you can say that, but there's never any of that. There's no context. It's always, well, we want to win the AFC South. What we have to do to to put us over the hump in the division? Who cares? So you're the best team out of four. Try to be the best team out of sixteen. Or the best team out of thirty-two. Strive for bigger things than winning the division. Four six eight six two. Your text line number again. Four six eight six two. Just put in CK before your question, comment, rant. If you have thoughts on Chris Ballard's. Words yesterday and the Colts let us know on the text line. One other note for the Colts. Colts assistant GM Ed Dodds is set to interview for the Raiders open GM job today. Let's go to Vegas. We'll see. Uh, Assistant GM Ed Dodds, as you mentioned, assistant GM Ian Cunningham in Chicago is on the short list for, I think, Carolina. Carolina. Good luck there. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if anybody wants to go to Carolina, but uh, no, it's the Commanders, actually, which I don't know if that's much better. But uh, Ian Cunningham, the assistant GM for Chicago, is one of the finalists, along with uh, Adam Peters of the 49ers um, in the the, uh, race to be the Commanders' new general manager. So both the Bears and the Colts have some high executives that could be on the move this offseason. Couple of texts at four six eight six two. CK, the Colts organization has always been mediocre since Manning was ousted. Ursay has no idea what he's doing. Uh, someone else, CK, winning the division is the only guarantee to the playoffs, which you have to make to have a chance at the Super Bowl. But they're not wording it that way. They're not saying, "Well, we want to win the South and and use it as a stepping stone to try to win the Super Bowl." Or, or they're just saying, "They're just we saying want to we win want to win the, the South. South." The Bears front office is saying, "We want to own the NFC North." Who cares? Someone else, CK, kind of like Purdue bragging about winning the Big Ten. Who cares? Try winning the big one for once. That is, for Purdue, what their priority should be. Uh, anybody that's that's out there that's a Purdue fan going, look at us, we're going to win another Big Ten title. Like, yeah, with this team, who cares? You, you should win the Big <laughs> you Ten should. title. Both because of how, you go, how good you are and how bad the rest of the league is. I just get tired of these short-sighted goals. And it's annoying, both in Indianapolis and Chicago. I think they're just so desperate to put up a banner of any kind in both cities that they would just love to win the division. It's like, you think Kansas City cares about winning the division anymore? If if they were second in the division, do you think that changes their goals of winning a no. Super Bowl? No, 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 none, none whatsoever. Absolutely not. I think Baltimore is celebrating winning the division. Uh, they just celebrate, but it's like it's not the end all. They have unfinished business. Lamar Jackson wants to win a Super Bowl, but in Chicago and Indianapolis, oh, they they want to win the division. You know that's our goal. Why is that your goal? Isn't your goal being win Lombardi trophies, getting to Super Bowls? Guess not. Coming up on the other side, Tommy Reese is a serious contender for the Alabama job because Dan Laning said no and did so in quite a cool fashion. We'll get to that audio. Plus, uh, look at some of the candidates and, you know, Alabama could do the funniest thing in this coaching search. I'll explain what that is also next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 
Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. From the Colts to Tommy Reese. <laughs> what a what a segue. Oh, yeah. Everyone's favorite offensive coordinator in college football, especially if you're a Notre Dame fan. Uh, but Tommy Reese has emerged as a serious contender for the Alabama job, along with a couple other candidates. One person who was thought to be already in Alabama the other day, well, he said no, and he said it in in a very cool way. Here's a clip from his video announcing he was returning to Oregon. Dan Laney. We're finishing. I want to be here in Eugene for as long as Eugene will have me. This place has everything that I could possibly ever want. There's a little bit of a problem in society today with people looking for what's next and where where there's an opportunity. And the reality is, you know, the grass is not always greener. In fact, the grass is damn green in Eugene. Awesome. That, I mean, what a great recruiting pitch. But here's my thing, though. Um, if all that is true, why even go to Tuscaloosa? An interview. It's kind of my thing. Well, it, it did he actually go there? That was the report, right? Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that report was true. Okay, the 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 TV anchor who reported that had to apologize. If if he didn't go, then I understand. And he says he did not. He told the Tuscaloosa News he did not interview for the Alabama job. So if that's true, then yes, I can get behind that 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 uh, what he said. So I think what the Dan Lanning situation says to me and and what I kind of thought going into this coaching search is I think you're going to have a problem finding somebody who wants to follow Nick Saban because the expectations are insanely stupid because what Nick Saban did at Alabama was insanely stupid. Okay. And I just don't know who's going to be interested in that, particularly if somebody is already in a cush position. Dan Lanning is in a cush position in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. Why would he want to go to Alabama? He has to follow a guy that went 201 and 29, 201, 29 and six of those 29 losses came in one season, his first year. So effectively after 2007, he went 199 and 23. It's absurd. It's just who <laughs> wants to follow that? And I think in terms of Dan Lanning and and Mike Norvell is now the kind of this, the sexy name. And okay, I guess you could see it because Florida State thinks it's getting a raw deal in the ACC. And Mike Norvell may think, okay, this is my chance to jump to a, a power four. I can understand why Tommy Reese would be interested. Oh my gosh, you mean I can go from not being a head coach in the FBS? My first job is Alabama. But... Dabo and and Mike Norvell and and already Dan Lanning say no and you know throwing out guys like Lincoln Riley or Steve Sarkeesian like why would you leave your existing jobs to go to someplace that all you have to do is turn tune into one segment on Feinbaum to realize how absurdly <laughs> high the expectations are in Tuscaloosa. Text at four six eight six two. You go because it leverages future contract talks. I say Not if you, lose. you interview because it leverages yes. future contract talks. Why? I don't, it doesn't. And maybe that's, that's, that's the, what the text you go because it leverages in terms of interviewing. I, I understand that. I think that's what the texter's yeah. saying. Yeah. If that's what you're saying. Yes. I agree. Yes, good point. 
But you don't even have to go. I mean, most of these interviews are done on Zoom or meeting at a neutral site. All Dan Lanning needs to do is is tell his his boss, like, hey, Alabama wants to interview him. Be like, how much? Yep. What do you want? And if I'm Dan Lanning, you're going into a new conference where I think, quite honestly, they're the favorite going into it in 2024. Yeah, you don't need to... Why leave when it's really good where you're at? You don't have to worry about a Georgia in the Big Ten. Yes, you have Ohio State that recruits at an elite level, but Ohio State has a lot of turnover. And again, you have Michigan, which who knows if Harbaugh even stays. Like, there are so many question marks. Oregon is the one school that you feel like, wow, you feel really good about where they're at. Yes, they lose Bo Nix, but they bring in Dylan Gabriel, who had a lot of success at Oklahoma and UCF before that. So, you feel like you're in a good spot, and that's why he's staying. Meanwhile, you look at the, the candidates in these serious contenders, according to one report. You mentioned Mike Norvell, also Kalen DeBoer, which I, I would be surprised because he doesn't have any ties whatsoever, really, to the South. I uh, coached IU for a year, but he's been Fresno State, Washington. Like He's, he's become a West Coast guy. Yeah. If you don't have the recruiting inroads, that's pretty tough. But I could see him being interested in the sense that Michael Penix Jr. is on the move. You're going into the Big Ten. I don't think Washington's going to be a perennial national title contender. One year doesn't make you a perennial contender. No. I could see that. I think the interesting thing, too, about Dan Lanning is he spent four years at Georgia. Okay? He knows how the SAC works. He knows the pressure at Georgia and Alabama. He, he has a firsthand knowledge and has decided, I don't want any part of that. Right now, staying at, at, in Eugene, I think it's it's a great move. But you look at Dan Lanning; he's had two years at Oregon, ten and three, twelve and two. You know what? That's not good enough in Tuscaloosa. No, that's the thing. His it goes back to the absurdity of the expectations at Alabama. It's insane. Now, other contenders and Mike Loxley, the Maryland head coach, makes a lot of sense. Former Alabama offensive coordinator. That's one that has a lot of player support. Eli Drinkwitz, uh, the head coach at Mizzou, also kind of on the, the outside among the, the top guys listed on this report. So, But, I mean, if I'm Tommy Reese, you get offered the job. Obviously, I get him interviewing for it as the offensive coordinator. But if you get offered the job, do you take it knowing that... Oh, you definitely do. Uh, he kind of feels like the, the modern... Well, not modern, that's not the right word, but the, the next Lane Kiffin. A guy who eh, gets a lot of opportunities, and I don't want to say he's failing upwards because uh-huh. Notre Dame it made sense. He was a quarterback coach, and then he was promoted to offensive coordinator. He had Brian Kelly kind of watching over him. Then he gets the Alabama job. It's a guy who's kind of polarizing among football fans as far as you know how good is he really. But, I mean, he could go from coaching quarterbacks at Notre Dame to being the head coach at Alabama in six years. Which is pretty wild. Yeah. Um, I, but is I also, he ready for the Bama job? No, no. No, absolutely not. But I think it's an enormous opportunity for Tommy Reese, of course. He has no he has no current job. It's not Dabo leaving Clemson to go to Alabama. And I think really, quite frankly, you want to be the dude that follows the dude at Alabama. I don't want to be the guy that follows Nick Saban. But it's easier to say that if you already have an established job. If you're Dan Lanning in Oregon. Or Steve Sarkeesian, the Texas. Yeah, why, why would leave? Uh, why would Sark leave Texas? No, I, I he's in a good spot. Right, they're going to compete for a national title again next year. 
And so those those names that are being thrown out, I we talked about it last night too, just offhand about well, I don't know why Alabama fans hate Dabo Sweeney so much. Maybe because he beat Alabama. I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I guess so. Kind of weird because I think I would love Dabo in Tuscaloosa, but um, my thing is is I just wouldn't want to touch that job because of the impossible expectations that Nick Saban thrust upon that program with his insane amount of success. Now, the funniest thing that could happen in all of this is Brian Kelly says, see you to LSU and goes for the Bama job. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's happening. I, I think he's he should worry more about making sure that he's doing enough in year three at LSU to not put him on the hot seat because yes. he got rid of his, his entire defensive staff and including guys like Kerry Cooks that have been with him since Notre Dame and for a long time. And lost his OC back to Notre Dame. Yeah, and, and so he has internal issues to figure out because so far... It hasn't worked out for Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge. Granted, it's only been two years, but he has a pivotal year three facing him, and he's losing the reigning Heisman winner in Jaden Daniels. Now, uh, Alabama AD Greg Byrne intends to name a new head coach by the end of this week, so perhaps we see something today or tomorrow uh, in this coaching search. Yeah, text come in about Dabo playing at Alabama. Uh, I, I, no, I, we agree. Like it uh, yeah, makes sense it makes for Dabo all the to sense. be the, He played for Alabama in the nineties, but the, it, I, I know fans it, do not like Dabo. It's a could be a vocal minority. It's a very vocal uh, minority, at least on Feinbaum. But they don't want Dabo for whatever reason. And and I get it. You could say he doesn't embrace the transfer portal and, and nil. But the guy's an elite recruiter. He already is in the recruiting footprint. He knows the program. He's won multiple national titles, but they don't want him in Tuscaloosa. That, that's the that's the craziness you're going to have to deal with down there when you whoever takes that job. Someone else texting in at 46862. Next Alabama coach won't last three years. They'll fall back and be irrelevant post-Saban, just like pre-Saban. I would say necessarily they're, they weren't perennial national title contenders, but they won a title in the 90s, I think, with yeah. Gene Stallings, right? C- correct. Uh, but, but that yeah, was in 92. Right. Mike Shula was there. I think they had maybe one good year. Mike DeBose, same thing. Dennis Francione was there for a hot minute. So I agree. Mike Price. <laughs> oh, yeah, that worked out well. Um, so, um, yeah, I agree that you, I don't know if you necessarily drop down. And that's where the thing comes is, is Alabama the greatest uh, football program in college football? Uh, I, I think so. Historically, Yes. Yes, but are they Alabama? Are they are they Ohio State? No, in the sense that in modern day, they've been able to have consistent success over multiple head coaches, from Jim Tressel to Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, and you throw Luke Fickle in there for a hot minute. Yes, they have been able to. Can Alabama do that in today's college football landscape? And, and that was the problem with Notre Dame, right? They went from Lou Holtz to Bob, Bob Davey, Davey to Tyrone Willingham to Charlie Weiss, and then Brian Kelly had a ton of success, and now the jury's still out on Marcus Freeman. So far, early returns are promising, but he's got to get him to another level to, to feel like you could get them at least to match Brian Kelly or you know, even in, in even greater in terms of, of accomplishments. And that's the tough thing for Alabama is you feel like they've positioned themselves to hire the best of the best, but as Nick Saban put them in such a high stratosphere in terms of expectations that it is going to be impossible whoever gets that next job to live up to the expectations of what Nick Saban said. (laughs) 
we'll we'll wrap it up with this this text. Please don't want Dabo. Please want Tommy Reese signed all of their college football things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tommy Reese has uh, said the right things, done the right things to go from a a GA barely ten years ago to maybe head coach of the top college program historically in all of college football. Meanwhile, from Alabama, the top program to the top Saturday morning college football program, college game day, ESPN under fire after a report that they secured awards through a scheme. We'll get to that next as we wrap up hour number one here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here in hour number one on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. A couple other texts rolling in at 46862 on the Alabama coaching search. Uh, someone saying, okay, 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 I'll sacrifice my 9 to 5 to go coach Alabama for one year. There you go. That's a good call. Go make the money. And get out. And get out, yes. Someone else, Lane Kiffin, Dark Horse. It doesn't seem to be that he's interested is the way I've read it. But he hmm. should be a candidate. I mean, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. Uh, same. And then someone else, why is everyone acting like Saban and Alabama didn't already have this planned and someone in place? Because I think that would be announced then. Yes. If it would be announced Saban the next retired, day. Then somebody was getting a send. I, I, I legitimately don't think they... I mean, the, the report was... Not saying this was a spur of the moment decision. He by was Nick in a Saban. meeting with wide yeah, receivers he was, coaches, he was, right? Yeah, he was meeting with prospective assistant coaches an hour before he told his team. So I imagine the the brain trust, of the athletics department in Alabama knew a little bit earlier, but I don't think this was a calculated decision made weeks in advance, and everybody knew it was coming. Yeah, I I I don't think so either. So. From one all-time great in college football to a program that is, I think, what everyone looks forward to on a Saturday morning, college game day. You know it. You may either like it or hate it based on lineup changes they made recently. Pat McAfee. <laughs> but ESPN is under fire. A report came out yesterday. They used a scheme to get more than 30 Emmys for its stars on the program since 2010. Kirk Herbstreet, Lee Corso, Chris Fowler, Desmond Howard, Sam Ponder, uh, past and present uh, people who have been on the program. Among those uh, highlighted getting Emmy, Shelly Smith as well. No evidence on-air talent was aware of the scheme, but what they would do is ESPN submitted fake names into the credit list for the show, and this is where it's just kind of hilarious. Tim Richard... Lee Clark, Kirk Henry. <laughs> it's like the names they Steven used to, Ponder. Ch- to check into hotels. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what the rule is with the, the was it the Emmys? Yeah. Is- and the rule has since changed. They can do, do this now where they won't have to put fake names. They're eligible, but they weren't eligible for a long time. They have to be a, as a personality, not a show, the individuals. But what they were doing is they were entering the show under fake names and so Sam Ponder, for example, instead of being up for like an individual analyst or whatever personality award, they would put her in with a fake name as the game day person. And then they would award her the thing. So I read it when it when it broke on the athletic. I think it was the athletic. They had this big expose and I was kind of reading it and I was just waiting for the really juicy parts. And I never really got there. I was like, it just sounds like a couple people, executives that skirted the rules and 
gay, none of the personalities that won awards knew it was wrong. I just, I, I don't know. It's kind of a lot of nothing to me in, in, in all honesty. Well, the, the national, uh, Association of Television Arts and Sciences, I believe that's what it is, right? That the awards the Emmys. Uh, sorry, National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. So they've since changed the rules, so this will not be possible and, and change how the awards work, but they did this a long time. I guess the juicy part to me in all of this was that Lee Fitting, the longtime college game day producer, was one of those implicated in this scheme, and he left the network, I think, to go to work for what, like WWE or something? Um, so something like that. And couldn't be contacted, yeah. of course, so for this. Between him, um, some other executives as well. I want to say Mark Lazarus is one of the other names in this report. I don't know. It's just, you feel bad for the talent because now you wonder, like, was it a legit Emmy? Like, Shelly Smith, who had a lot of quotes in this story, who used to work for ESPN, had one that she returned, she did win one, uh, and then another she can't get back because it was like gifted to a relative. Mm. So it's just, it's a shame that now you kind of wonder like, did I actually win any of these? Or was this because someone put down Kirk Henry instead of Kirk Herbstreet or Lee Clark instead of Lee Corso, Dirk Howard instead of Desmond Howard, <laughs> Tim Richard instead of Tom Rinaldi, so on and so forth. Unfortunately, Sam Ponder couldn't even get a female name. She had to be Stephen yeah. Ponder. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but I don't know. Is you're trying to take care of your own and get them awards? I I, I guess. But, uh, but. It, basically, the the execs were obsessed with winning these awards, and it was part of the the culture among yeah. ESPN executives. And a lot of those people are no longer there. So I take that into account in this story. And Shelly Smith, really, the only one that could talk about it because pretty much everybody else is still with ESPN. Correct. So, oh, just well, a weird weird thing to do. Empty out that trophy case. Apparently, gotta yeah. get them back. Coming up on the other side, James Boyd of The Athletic will join us. His takeaways from Chris Ballard speaking with the media yesterday and off-season plans for the Colts. Next, here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Thanks for being with us. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. If you have thoughts on the Colts, let us know. At 46862, just put CK before your message. Coming up this hour, we'll get to James Wood of The Athletic here shortly. Plus, Tyrese Halliburton continues to lead the votes for the All-Star Game among East Guards. But there's another data point that will blow you away. We'll get to that after James. Plus, NFL Super Wild Card Weekend Preview. We'll take a look at the matchups. I'm picking one upset you're not going to believe. Be sure to listen in about 840 or so for that in a half-eaten sandwich for sale. Hefty price tag on Facebook. We'll get to that story at the end of the show as we wrap it up here on a Friday. But first, let's go to James Boyd, Colts beat writer for The Athletic. James, good morning. I hope you're enjoying the offseason. I'm sure sleeping in every day and just lounging around the house. Nothing to do <laughs> for the next six months until training camp, right? No, there's always something to do. I wish I could take that much time off, but I'm not a player, so i got to keep check coming in with other things. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to yesterday as Chris Ballard had his uh, annual meeting post-Colt uh, season with the media, said a lot of things, obviously saying the goal is to make the, the playoffs, win the AFC South, talked a little bit about uh, free agency. What was the, the biggest takeaway 
for you in terms of the tone of Chris Ballard compared to the previous year? I think that he was optimistic and a bit hopeful. I know that he's still chasing that elusive AFC South title, which he still hasn't had in his seventh season, going into his eighth season. Had they won that regular season finale, they would have obviously had the division title. But I think anyone with common sense can feel a little bit better with a 9-8 record than a 4-12-1 record from a year ago. So a lot has changed, and they just don't have as many big-picture questions going into this offseason as opposed to last offseason. You have your head coach, you have your quarterback, you have questions about the quarterback's health going forward, all those things, but you feel much better about your team. James, was there anything that uh, that Chris Ballard said yesterday that maybe took you by surprise, or was everything as expected? Everything was pretty much as expected. I would say the one thing that I kind of pushed back on myself was when I asked him about the seven players being suspended, one being on the commission exempt list, and he talked about, you know, guys in mistakes, second chances, all those things, but I was just like, you know, and then I think he ended it by saying, hey, you all, you know, I don't think any of you all would look at these guys and say they maybe had bad character. And I was like, well, don't put words in my mouth because I definitely don't think that these, some of these guys have great character depending on what they did. And so, um, you know, I think that was the one kind of blemish on this season was that every few weeks you had Shane Sykes standing up there having an answer for some, you know, bad thing that happened that was self-inflicted by the team. So, I think that that's the one thing they have to clean up for sure going into next season is, you know, you don't want to have these things, you know, you know popping up left and right. Now, it is a one-off. This isn't a trend for this franchise. However, it needs to stay that way going into next season. James Boyd of The Athletic joining us on the guest line. James, uh, Chris Ballard also talked about Michael Pittman Jr. Obviously, he's a free agent uh, saying that we're going to work to get him back is that working to get him back include the Colts using the franchise tag for the first time since 2013? I think it could mean that, and I would just tell everybody out there listening, don't freak out and think that Michael Pittman Jr. can walk. He's not going to play his next game for anyone else in the Colts, in my opinion. That would just be franchise malpractice. However, there is a good chance that they use a tag on him, and then they come to some sort of long-term agreement even before the season. Like This will not be, in my opinion, as perhaps contentious as the JT situation where Jonathan Taylor really, really wanted to avoid the tag because of the running back market and deflating value of it and all those things. Pittman's going to get paid either way. It's just whether or not they can get a long-term deal done quickly or what, will it be kind of drawn out. But I do think that they bring him back, they make that a priority, and at some point they come to an agreement on a contract. If you're Michael Pittman Jr., you're probably like, give me four years, $100 million. $25 million annually, but obviously for the Colts, probably wouldn't go a little bit lower. There may be some back and forth there, but he's going to get, you know, at minimum $22 million on the tag. Yeah, you get paid on the tag for sure. Uh, James, when you look at the priorities with the uh, the free agents too, and, and, and Chris Ballard mentioned just the flexibility that the Colts have with that cap space, yet you look at the potential free agents, and if the Colts do bring back the majority or all of them, then that doesn't leave a lot of money for free agency. So in terms of, of what you expect, maybe the players that you look at, we talked about Michael Pittman as, yes, they're definitely going to be back as opposed to guys that may not be back. How would you kind of break that down? I would say that they, if there's a good chance a lot of these core players come back, and I say that because this isn't the long-term rebuild we kind of envisioned. They actually turned the corner faster than I thought they would with 
this team. And so I think there's just an urgency for Chris Ballard and the rest of the front office to be like, hey, maybe we bring in some guys and we retain some guys who are win-now players, you know, that being a Kenny Moore, a Julian Blackman, a Grover Stewart, um, obviously Michael Smith Jr. So these people need to be brought back, in my opinion. And then also you have to look at, okay, do we spend some money to make sure that, again, we have veterans coming in or guys can help us win tomorrow as opposed to a few years from now. And I know he, you know, Ballard mentioned, hey, I rolled the dots with some young quarterbacks this year. And that's because he couldn't say that out loud, but he, th- he thought this team was not going to be very good. That's the only reason you take that gamble. And then that kind of surprised everybody. So now going into this next season, you need to get guys who can help you win in the moment. I think they're going to prioritize that because this division, as you've seen, is up for grabs. James Boyd with us. couple players, I don't believe you mentioned Zach Moss and Gardner Minshew. Are those guys that are are they just too expensive for the Colts to bring back, or will one or even both of them return in twenty twenty four? I do think there's a chance that both come back. However, I'm just not too sure. I know that Gardner, you know, he wants a starting opportunity. He didn't come out and say that to us explicitly, but as a competitor, after what he did this season, I would imagine he's telling teams in free agency talks when they begin, hey. Look what I did with this team. I helped them get to the doorstep of the playoffs. I was supposed to be this guy who, you know, was going to be a spot help. I know I stepped in for almost the entire season and played winning football. And so, um, obviously, ideally, the Colts would like to bring him back. And I think that would be a great decision for this franchise. But it's ultimately up to him and what money he can command on the open market. And then also, do the Colts try to get at, go after a guy like, you know, Ty Wyatt Taylor, Tyler Huntley, um, Jacoby Brissett, more so where their skill set matches Anthony Richardson. That way, if he does miss a few games, you're not changing your entire offense to fit that, that new quarterback. And so um, that's why I land with Gardner Minshew. And as far as Zach Moss, I think he just maybe outplayed, you know, uh, his future here in Indianapolis. He came in and was balling out. At one point, was among the league leaders in Russian this year. And then now he's earned some a payday elsewhere. And considering that he is a running back, I think that he probably has looked at the money a little bit more and other positions and probably go with the biggest paycheck because you're not going to get some huge payday as a running back. So if this is your big payday, I wouldn't blame you for taking it no matter what the team is. James, I wanted to look at the defense real quick, and some fans were kind of pointed at uh, at Gus Edwards as maybe be or Gus Bradley, excuse me, being a guy that could be on the chopping block at defensive coordinator. I I never felt like he was deserving to to be let go, and and uh, Chris Ballard doubled down with that yesterday. Uh, do you feel like uh, Gus Bradley did a, a good enough job in twenty twenty three, and what are going to be the expectations for that defensive unit next season? I definitely think that he did a job that may have been sort of overlooked, and a lot of the fans are like, why they bring this guy back? Get rid of him. But just hear me out, people. He did help this defensive line turn the corner this year. They had a Indianapolis uh, franchise record, single-season record of 51 sacks this season. And I think a lot of the struggles had to do with how young they were in the secondary. You know, you got people saying, bring the heat and blitz more and stop leaving these guys, you know, giving all these people this time to throw. But if you blitz a ton, you leave all those young cornerbacks, those young defensive backs on an island, and we saw what happened when they did that. You know, they got burned a lot. You know, I looked it up yesterday. The Colts actually helped the 12th most explosive plays through the air in the entire NFL. And so um, that's a big risk to keep betting on when you don't have the infrastructure on the back end. And so I do think that, you know, there's room for improvement. You know, he criticized some of the conservative calls that he made. However, 
you have to look at it in the totality of what he was able to do. You can't say, oh, get rid of this guy. He was terrible, but then also praise the defensive line for having a great year when Gus Bradley was obviously helping try to engineer both of those things. James Boyd with us. James, is there something to be said with the fact that the Colts let Stephon Gilmore go for practically nothing and didn't bring in a veteran presence at corner to kind of shore up and, and prevent what we saw this season from, from being such a disaster as it was in the secondary. Exactly. And I think that was part of their plan. You know, Stephon Gilmore requested a trade and they gave it to him and he deserved it after what the season that he had in 2022. However, you do look in hindsight and say, man, if we had that guy, we would have been okay. And so, and even, you know, Dallas Flowers carrying his Achilles in the week for just those little things along the way had a trickle-down effect for a team that, again, I think surprised even the front office with how well they played. And so after you go through that this season, you look at your roster and you say, okay, we're in win-now mode. This isn't a rebuild. This isn't a retool. This is a um, we have to find a way to make sure that we're competing for a playoff spot and potentially a division title, which, again, had they won their season finale, they would have been in the playoffs with the division title for the first time in 10 years. James, going into the offseason, we've asked you a lot of questions. Still, the singular most important question is Anthony Richardson. Is he a can-be a franchise quarterback? When we look at the offense for the Indianapolis Colts, do we feel that this offense is ready or, or at least in the best position to help a young quarterback develop? Or are there still moves that need to be made, either shoring up an offensive line, get a pure mismatch type uh, tight end, uh, add to that receiver core? What puts the Colts in the best position? What moves can they make this offseason to say, we've given Anthony Richardson the best chance to succeed next year? I think that adding up another wide receiver in the draft probably is a good decision if you're going to pay. Michael Pittman Jr., then there's a good chance you need to add someone else to this roster to help just alleviate the pressure on Richardson. And also, we praise quarterbacks all the time for being great players, but as you can see, you can't throw it and catch it yourself. We're seeing that with Patrick Mahomes right now, so invest in you know the skilled players around Anthony Richardson. And also, I think that the offensive line is key. It's always key, and getting healthy is a big part of that. I think this offensive line looked a lot different when Brady Smith was 100% healthy, and he told me, I talked to him about it, he was like, hey, I was not healthy this year. I was disappointed in myself for not being out there as much as I wanted to, and he gave everything. Um, it's not a matter of if he wanted to be out there. He just physically couldn't be out there at the end of the regular season, but he was saying, I have to get healthy. I have to make sure that I'm okay. And so if they can get healthy, this offensive line, which we criticized so much after last season, turned the corner this year and could still have some good years left in them and in those good years, a chance to do something special with Anthony Richardson's on his rookie deal and obviously some other pieces being added around him. And James, you mentioned wide receiver is, is a target for the NFL draft. Are the Colts in a spot where it's going to be best player available or are they targeting specific position groups for that first-round pick? I think it could be best player available. I know a lot of the fans here are saying Brock Bowers, if he's there, go get him. And it's like, I don't even know if he's going to be there at 15, to be honest with you. He's that talented. If he is there, I think you obviously take him because he will be, in my opinion, the best player left at that point. Um, you know, I'm sorry to let everyone know Marvin Harrison Jr. will not fly to the draft. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that they're in a position where that 15 spot gives us a little bit of, a little bit of wiggle room. However, I would just highlight some of the areas being – you know, uh, obviously tight end of Brock Bowers there, wide receiver, potentially cornerback, 
just some of those positions where they really need some help immediately, um, and, and that could help them get over the top going into next year. James, a question for you and heading into the offseason. What's more fun in an offseason? Because you had a lot more questions, a lot more concerns for the Colts than maybe after this season. So for you personally, is it is it more fun covering a team that's in chaos or maybe a little bit more set like this season? I think it's probably more fun with the latter. You need to relax <laughs> a little bit. But I will say I learn so much every time I go through something throughout a season, and so every time I'm like, man, this is so terrible, I don't want to write this story, or, you know, contrary to what everyone thinks, you have this dream job, but sometimes it is inconvenient, right? You want to have your time off with everybody else. However, when you go through it and you write the stories, and I remember last year doing a big thing, okay, well, how would they get Lamar Jackson? It just teaches you so much more about the game, the NFL, decision makers, those things of that nature. So it is fun, but I'm saying that to say I enjoy when people keep their jobs. So I'm not disappointed that uh, anybody of prominence has been let go with the Colts. Yeah, funny you mentioned Lamar Jackson. What is it, like four of the five teams in a report uh, linked to Lamar Jackson? Their their coaches were all fired. So <laughs> at least the yeah. Colts weren't linked in you that know, one. There's a debate about him and was it collusion and all those things. My whole point was, do you want your team to stink or not? At least you know inquire <laughs> about the guy. And that's one thing I give the Colts credit for. Obviously they didn't move forward on trying to go get him last year. They at least when it first came out, we're like, hey, we acknowledge this guy is really good, which is what a lot of teams did not do. And as you can see, a year later, they're in disarray. Yeah, yeah, go figure. James, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's hard to believe it. The season's over. Probably next time we'll chat with you. will be closer to NFL draft time unless anything crazy happens with the Colts between now and then. But always appreciate you coming on, and hopefully you have a good offseason. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. That's James Boyd of the Athletic Colts beat writer with us. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, Tyrese Halliburton still leading the vote among East guards for the NBA All-Star game, but it's a different data point that's going to blow you away. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line number 46862 and... The all-star vote totals continue to come in for the NBA, and we're tying this to Tyrese Halliburton, Pacer star, who's unfortunately out with that hamstring strain for another, what, 10 or so days before it'll be reevaluated. Yeah, at least. The Pacers desperately need him to be back sooner rather than later to continue the momentum. Yes. As they've done really well since Christmas. I think they have, like, the second-best record in the NBA, but... You look at the the vote totals. He's still leading all East guards with over 2.1 million votes in the East. He's fourth in the East overall and eighth overall in the NBA in vote getters. But that's not really why we're talking about this. Why we're talking about this is when you look at the vote totals. Now, I'm bad at math, but (laughs) even I can read a a chart. So Tyrese Halliburton, top among guards, 2.192 million votes. All right, and the, the East. only East guard with over two million votes. Now he's he's not top like Jason Tatum's ahead, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, all ahead in the East, and then in the West, obviously LeBron uh, in second behind Giannis. You have Jokic, you have Kevin Durant, and Luka Doncic, all with more votes than Halbert. But the player in particular, and why we're talking about this, Tyrese Halliburton currently has more All Star votes. Than none other than Steph Curry. Wow. People are taking notice of Tyrese Halliburton. 
It's good to see. Now, the ne- next round of All-Star voting will be released next Thursday. Voting will conclude eight days from now. So next Friday, starters will be, reveal- will be revealed on January 25th. Now, I understand. It's, it's, uh, the Warriors have been an absolute disaster this season, from Draymond Green to the fact that they're an old team, and outside of their, their two rookies who played well, pretty much have nothing. Jonathan Kaminga could be on the trading block. I mean, everyone is reportedly on the trading block in Golden State outside of Curry himself, which is saying how bad things are going. They're below 500. They're going to be lucky to make the playoffs at this point. Now the my, fact that Tyrese Halliburton yes. has reached the, this level in the NBA where he has more all-star votes currently than Steph Curry is hard to believe. Now, my question is, is the is the uh, the emergence of Tyrese Halliburton across the NBA as one of its top players change how the Pacers can build their team? What I'm saying is, does this help in free agency? Absolutely, absolutely. To to have the the top or one of the top point guards in the NBA, a guy who is. Already got a long-term deal locked in, so you don't have to worry about that. You can build with him now, and and that's the advantage the Pacers have had really since this summer. Is that anytime you're in trade conversations or working in free agency, you can say, "Hey, we got Halliburton locked up long-term. Come on over, come join us. We we want to win something with you with you, and we want you to be a part of it." And at this point, seems like it's working. Uh, somebody asking, "What's the All Star Game format?" Thankfully, it's East versus West. Yes. We're going thankfully. back to normal, what it should be every year. It East was LeBron West. and Giannis for a, a couple years, I believe. Yeah, it was uh, silly. Um, I, get I think the changing top vote it. getters of each league were yes. the captains. And then they could draft. And I get yeah. changing the format to, but like, just East versus West. Like, that's what people want to yeah, see. Yeah, don't, don't get, don't get cute at this point but uh yeah that's the format so it'll be Tyrese Halliburton probably starting for the east yes and again the game in Indianapolis coming up next month so this is this is big for Halliburton it's big for the Pacers just hopefully he can come back from injury and and be a part of all of it before it's all said and done but I think this this is the the if there was any argument left that Halliburton wasn't a superstar in the NBA I think this is the evidence you can point to and say that, yes, Tyrese Halliburton is a superstar. When you get more votes than Steph Curry, and it's not because, oh, Curry's been injured and missed a bulk of time this season. No, Curry's out there playing. Halliburton's the one who's going to miss more games uh, than, than Curry before the All-Star break, the way it's trending. Interesting text coming in. I want to see how you think of this. It doesn't help the Pacers at all in free agency. The Pacers were competing year after year in the playoffs in the East with Paul George, and that didn't even help. Your thoughts? I mean, that was a team that had a number one seed in the East one year, 10 years ago in, in 2014. So, I mean... Well, I mean, I think to the texter's point, he's saying it didn't lure big-time free agents to Indianapolis. It didn't lure big-time free agents? Yes, I will agree with that. Different regime, different front office. Also... I'll say this, the Pacers didn't seem to have the the desire to 
signed big time free agents. I mean, they when they signed David West, that was like the biggest free agent deal they had ever signed at the time, and he was coming off a, a major injury. But I think what you have now is an organization that has a young team that was a much more experienced team that they built from within. Whereas they got Halliburton from a trade. Yes, they they drafted Turner, they drafted Matherin, they've signed other pieces from elsewhere. I I think. They're willing to trade or work free agency to get these guys. And I think it's going to be a trade would be the more likely first step, perhaps at the trade deadline. And then you go into the offseason and they could add uh, another piece or two. I guess my question would be, is the Pacers front office see it the same way? Do they see an opportunity here or are they still cut from the same cloth in the sense that they want to build through the draft and peripheral deals across uh, around the, the big stuff and build around Tyrese Halbert, or will they legitimately go after another big star? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, buddy healed is on the, the trading block and you need to get a good wing defender. And that seems to be, I mean, you shore up the defense, right? This is an elite team in the NBA, but <laughs> shoring up the defense is going to, take more than just one simple trade to fix everything. In terms of simple trades or simple moves, breaking news this morning from Adam Schefter is the New England Patriots have hired, pretty much promoted, Gerard Mayo as their next head coach in New England. So congratulations to Gerard Mayo. Youngest head coach now at 37, taking over a title that Sean McVay has held since being the name that Rams head coach in 2017. Mayo is a month younger than Sean McVay. Wow. Yeah. So good luck to him. I, I don't understand keeping it within the same framework as, as, as Belichick staff, but good luck to Gerard Mayo. I, I, I have a feeling that Gerard Mayo is going to be a little bit more forward thinking than Bill Belichick yes. is going to be. And I think that's the thing is how limited was Gerard Mayo in his coaching because he was under Bill Belichick, but he, he played for the Patriots. I think he spent the mo, mo, all of his career in New England, and then has been an assistant most recently uh, on the staff as the linebackers coach and will now be the new head coach in New England. Uh, you know, top priority is getting a quarterback, isn't it? I just, yeah, you know, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, they got to get a quarterback. If they don't get a quarterback, Gerard Mayo will struggle. If they can get a franchise quarterback, then Gerard Mayo will have some success. I think that, that's pretty much what it comes down to in the NFL these days. Is there like a, a player that you, you felt vindicated by saying, no, this is not the guy? Because Mac Jones is, is that player for me, where I, w- I felt like I was shouting from the rooftops. Oh, I think Mac Zach Jones Wilson, is not the guy. too. I think I felt like, I mean, yeah. with the Jets, is like. How I many love Zach Wilson as a college player, so I didn't rail on him as an NFL yeah. player. You felt because Mac Jones, with his history at Alabama, and he was surrounded, surrounded by just stupid yes. talent that you looked at, and he's like, he's not well, and the there, guy. there wasn't enough of a sample size. True. And he went from being a. You know, fringe first round pick to going what fifteenth overall. It just everything felt like a reach. Yeah, after the tremendous season that Alabama had, and he you know, threw and not for, because what? of him, because of Devonte Smith. Well, I mean, he threw for forty touchdowns that yeah. year. Uh, yeah, I, you got to give Mac Jones credit, but just because you throw for forty touchdowns in Alabama or anywhere in college football doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to the NFL. Ty Detmer. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots thought he was going to. And his best season actually was his rookie year mm-hmm. and then just regressed from there. Yes, so, they did have some issues with assistant coaches, but a little bit. But you've seen in more than enough than Mac Jones to know that he's not the guy who is 
taking snaps under center to start the season next year for new head coach Jared Mayo and the Patriots. We will see. Coming up on the other side, speaking of the NFL, we'll talk NFL playoffs, super wildcard weekend preview, some picks for games, and one upset I'm picking. You'll, you'll think I'm crazy. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. In case you missed it, the Patriots have named their new head coach, Gerard Mayo, to take over for Bill Belichick. News broke uh, about what, 10 minutes ago. Yeah, a uh, first-time head coach. Hasn't even been a coordinator in the NFL, but he's been a Patriot his entire playing career and coaching career. So uh, Robert Kraft going with Gerard Mayo, now the youngest head coach in the National Football League. And from the Patriots and a team that is not going to be in the playoffs to NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Let's preview some of these matchups. And on Saturday, you have Cleveland and Houston at 430. We'll have all these games here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. You can listen to all the games. Cleveland-Houston will be joined in progress after the Purdue-Penn State game. So if you miss anything, it'll be just like a little bit of the first quarter. Uh, Miami-Kansas City, 8 o'clock, the Peacock exclusive game. Of course, has everyone up in arms for whatever reason. Um, so let's let's talk about Saturday first. Cleveland and Houston. Now, Houston winning the AFC South. So they're hosting this game. Cleveland, a team who's played really well defensively all season. Joe Flacco comes in. They've had success. Call me crazy. I like Houston in this game. I guess my b- biggest thing is when does Joe Flacco look his age? Correct. And, and play. And and again, last week looked really good. Um, through had five completions downfield uh, against Houston in week 16. So these two teams played just recently. I guess my biggest thing is a rookie quarterback on the road against. Uh, no, a, he's at home. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, because well, they won the division. That's right, because it's dumb that way. That's another conversation we need to have. You shouldn't get home field advantage just for winning the division. I know they want to reward the division, but the top four teams, top four records in each in each conference should should host first round games. Anyway, uh, I do like Houston at home. My thing is a rookie quarterback still at home though against a very good, very aggressive uh, Cleveland defense, and Cleveland plays a lot of man defense. That is a, a where C.J. Stroud has kind of struggled is throwing in man. You put you you zone C.J. Stroud to be able to pick you apart. But I think if Cleveland brings the house, puts a lot of pressure on Stroud, and makes him throw and make decisions in man coverage, then maybe the Cleveland can go on the road to win this one. But I kind of tend to agree with you. I think Houston can can win this game, getting the home field advantage. And it's a Cleveland offense. Yes, the defense is really good, but I think it's the offense that is the issue. Are they going to be able to score points? And I just I don't trust Cleveland in this game at this stretch to to put up the offense to keep up with the high flying attack of Houston. I agree. The night game, looking at the Dolphins and the Chiefs, and of course everybody talking about two things: a, it's on Peacock; b, it's going to be hella cold at Kansas City. And and I I don't look at this. I hate people saying, "Well, this is going to be oh Miami. They're going to be they're going to be all used to the the warmth." Now, Kansas City, they got plenty of guys that are from warm climes. Okay, so it's going to be just as cold for Kansas City as it's going to be for Miami in this game. I, I just think it's it comes down to which team does not let the weather affect them the most, because it can be difficult when 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 you're talking wind chills. 
uh, minus 30, which is what they're talking about tomorrow night at Kansas City, which team does not allow the cold to affect them the most is the team that's going to win this game. And you know the Dolphins will be most affected. Come on. Do you? I mean, yes. I mean, I'd may- never take Miami in a cold weather game. Ever. Why? Why we, what's Kansas City? Well, they got plenty of dudes that have that have played in warm climes. Yeah, that but they have plenty 30. of guys who have played in the playoffs the last several years that know True. how to deal with this. I just don't know. I don't think this t- this Chiefs team is your typical unbeatable Chiefs team through the AFC playoffs. I really don't. And, I, and there is no guarantee that Kansas City wins this game, in my opinion. Yes, there isn't. And based on the Chiefs receivers who have dropped the most catchable passes in the NFL, according to the analytics, which is not a surprising stat at all. I mean, it's just reality. The receivers aren't very great, and they're they're banged up again. Can they trade back for Tyreek Hill before this game? (laughs) Probably not. No, probably not. Probably not. But I'm taking Kansas City. They're at home. The Dolphins playing in a cold-weather game on the road. I, I don't trust Miami. I don't trust Tua in the playoffs. It's a great pass rush by the Chiefs. I think you overlook the Chiefs' defense and their their front line because so much focus is put on the receivers dropping passes, which will catch up to the Chiefs in the postseason this year. Don't get me wrong; I just don't think it's against Miami. Quote or a a, a, a stat to note that uh, goes with your narrative is Tua Tagovailoa in cold weather games starts in the NFL. Uh, all four of his starts in sub-degree weather, he has lost, completing just 55% of his passes. There you go. And that's sub-45 degree weather. It's going to feel 75 degrees colder than sub-45. It's going to be minus 30 wind chill tomorrow night. Coming up on Sunday, you have... You have Steelers-Bills as the mm-hmm. first game, I yeah, think, I, on I don't Sunday. think we need to really break that one down. I think we're both taking the Bills to win at home. Mason Rudolph's not winning you a playoff game on the road. Yeah, I would agree. And the running game can only take you so far. We've talked about it at ad nauseum on this show. But yeah, I think this is... If we're picking a game to be the biggest blowout of the weekend, I'm looking at this one. Yes. Uh, as am I. I just... I don't trust the Steelers with their lack of quarterback play to, to be able to keep up with the Bills in this game on the road. Speaking of trust, do you trust Dak Prescott to be able to beat the Packers at home on Sunday afternoon? At home, yes. Yes, I do. I'm picking the Cowboys. I, I like the Cowboys. They've been a great home team all season. I don't think that's going to go away or change as the Cowboys continue to get it done at home. If this were a road game, it would be a lock. I'd pick them to lose. Cowboys 8-0 at home. Green Bay just 4-5 on the road this season. I like Dallas to win that one. The quarterbacks ranked first and second in the NFL in touchdown passes this season. Dak Prescott, 36. Jordan Love with 32. Uh, you know, it would not surprise me if the Green Bay Packers with a rookie quarterback go down and win. The Green it's Bay not a Packers. Rookie. Well, a rookie starter. Yeah, a first year starter. The Packers are 5 and 0 in Jerry World all time, including the playoffs. Hard to believe. Throwing that out there. And I'm, it's the Cowboys. I'm, I'm still liking Dallas. I, I mean, Dallas I, at home. Up against the wall, yes, I'm probably picking Dallas. But, I mean, with Dak at quarterback, anything could happen. You're probably wondering, where, where's that shocking upset pick? Are you going Rams over the Lions? I'm going Rams over Lions. That's not even the, the upset pick that I have. Oh. <laughs> so, yes, You're gonna Rams, go Lions. over Eagles, too, aren't you? But anyway, let's we, talk we, about Rams, yeah. Lions first. Rams, Lions first. Uh, look, Detroit's been a great story all year. Uh, the Rams are playing their best football at this time of year. 
Matthew Stafford is back. The Rams offense is back. Everything is is working in their favor. Detroit had chances. They they really misjudged that into that game against the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. It really had some big playoff implications for them. Um, to me, Lions are a great story, but I don't see them winning this game, even though it's at home. Well, my thing would be it would be very poetic if their former quarterback in Matt Stafford can come in to Detroit and end the season early for a team that has had its most successful season this century. Yeah. So far. I mean, I, I, I they still haven't won a playoff game since 91, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last, oh, sorry, which is 92, 92, um, which is also the last time they won 12 or more games in a season. Coach, coach of the year that year, Wayne Fonts. The cigar-toting sideline chief of the Detroit Lions back then. Uh, it would be so Lions for that to happen, wouldn't it? That their former quarterback comes back and ends their season early. But I mean, it, it, the the Rams are putting it together at the right time. Puka Nakua, uh, Kyron Williams, Matthew Stafford. I mean, the offense, and then you have the rookie pass rushers, Kobe Turner, Byron Young. Like they're they're putting it together at the right time. And you have Sean McVay, who is an elite head coach. Well, Los Angeles is going to have to limit the turnovers on the road. Keep an eye, I think, on Aiden Hutchinson, the edge rusher for the Lions. Just an absolute force to end the year. And he could be the guy that maybe could disrupt that opportunity for Matt Stafford and the Rams. And then Monday night, we get a Monday night playoff game, which none of us like, but we still will watch with the Eagles and the Bucks. Eagles-Bucks, it's an Eagles team after that 10-1 and start, has completely unraveled to close the year. And it's a situation where Jalen Hurts still battling with that injured finger. I mean, will he be able AJ to throw? Brown. That's the biggest question yeah. for, 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 for Jalen Hurts. He's been Hurts. limited in practice so far. I, I, you call me crazy, I'm picking the Bucks in this game. They're at home. Uh, looks like it'll be raining, so it won't be great football weather. But I, I like Tampa Bay to get it done. Philly, you know, for for as great as Philly was to start the year, um, they've scored just five more points than they've given up this season. I mean, it's not a good defense. They give up 428 points. Uh, Tampa Bay is a much stingier defense. Yes, they're a lower-scoring team, but I just really think that the Bucs are going to pull this upset, and Philly is sputtered, and it wouldn't surprise me if you see major changes at Philly this offseason. I read something today from a reputable source that if the season ends early, Nick Sirianni could be on the chopping block yes. in Philly. That's a team that went to the Super Bowl last yes, year. That's exactly be, what I'm referencing. It'd be pretty crazy, but uh, Jalen Hurts, it's been it talked about this week about his injury. Baker Mayfield is far from healthy either. He's dealing with a rib injury, ankle injury. His effectiveness on Friday, on Monday night, could be just as impactful as Jalen Hurts. Uh, if Tampa Bay is going to win this game, I think they're going to have to command the game on the ground with Rashad White. You know how I feel about trying to win the games. Uh, running the football, but if Jalen Hurts is not 100%, that could be enough for Tampa Bay to get the win. All right, so you can come back and either I will gloat or sound like an idiot on Monday's show. Or, or well, I guess Tuesday's show after all these picks. But Yes, very we'll true. We'll know by we'll, Monday in what direction Yeah, what direction we're going, <laughs> but let us know your upset pick of Wild Card Weekend. Who do you think could go down this weekend? Let us know, 46862. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up for the week. A half-eaten sandwich is fetching a Hefty price tag on Facebook Marketplace. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan.
in 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. You're on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Did I just hear like sleet or something outside right before we came back? I heard something. I don't know what it's doing outside. It's uh, it's supposed to be like rain to snow to sleet to snow to rain to snow to sleet. It kind of depends on where you're at. But uh, did you have a Marky Mark in the Funky Butch poster? No. You need it. Oh, I thought you were going to say you No, I did not. I did not have a Marky Mark <laughs> poster, but I do uh, enjoy this song. Mark Wahlberg, of course. Yes. Marky the Mark. actor, for those who are too young yes, or to not alive to remember him, he was also a singer. Yes, that's how Marky Mark... Uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Yes. Not sure what the Funky Bunch is up to. Yeah, that, that's Marky a great Mark question. For sure. Great question. All right. Anyway, final wanna, story of, great the, question of the day. Is wondering of the why week. This, this sandwich is going yes. for so much money. Half eaten sandwich up for sale for $1.3 million on Facebook. Everyone is confused as to why it was listed by someone in England on Tuesday, and it was a new grilled half eaten sandwich filled with cheese and a, and a meat described as very crispy, listed for sale because the vendor couldn't finish it. But of course, this went viral on Facebook. We, we've seen seen this before. Like there was the saddest lunch you'll ever see. It was a baked baked potato and baked beans previously. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, the sandwich is grilled. Like uh, you, you look at it, you can see the grill marks. But, but yes. there's nothing special about it. No. So they just decided to put it up for sale. Million euros or one point three million U.S. dollars. It is. It is up for sale for one point. So it doesn't mean that. Somebody has made an offer. Yeah, one point three, right? Put but it yes, up it there. says half-eaten sandwich, yummy in parentheses. Uh, it's being put on for sale in Leicester, England. Condition new. Yeah, even though it's half-eaten. <laughs> Very crispy half-eaten sandwich for sale because I can't finish. Um, I I, I don't can, get it, but you know whatever works. I I don't think it's going to fetch any money. Yeah, worth a shot, I guess. Looks like a good sandwich. Wouldn't pay a million dollars for it, though. No. No, I certainly would not either. Uh, yeah, the Facebook Marketplace is an interesting place, for sure. <laughs> that it is indeed. That, uh, <laughs> that it is indeed. Uh, I'm not a regular in Marketplace. I'm not either. My wife is and shows me the funny things she, she finds. I know people that try to sell stuff on Marketplace because I see it time and time and time and time again. Like, they keep posting it. Yeah. Like, nobody wants this. Yeah. But, whatever. Yeah, someone in my feed has posted, like, this lawnmower, I think, like, three or four times. I'm like... <laughs> Clearly, you need to lower the price. Or nobody wants this thing. Yeah, it's an expensive mower. Like are, three grand. People are too busy shopping for half-eaten sandwiches to worry yeah. about your mower. Correct. All right, that wraps it up for us. Thanks to James Boyd for Justin Kinney. I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick up next. The herd with Colin Cowherd coming up at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from three to four, and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from four to six. Final chance to win circus tickets today on the Sports Rush. That's all to come. Here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Have a great weekend.